Wow, man. Have you been there? Yeah. Can you relate? Are you not getting the love and respect you need to live happily ever after when you come to the right place? As this morning, we're going to be talking about love. And I kind of like to begin with a, a, a phenomenal song written by a guy by the name of B.J. Thomas. How many of you have heard of B.J. Thomas? You guys remember him, right? You know, he's got a beautiful, pure voice, kind of like Charbel on our piano, um, our, our, our youth guy and uh, student minister. Uh, he wrote a, a song that became famous. Matter of fact, it's his number one song. It's entitled, any B.J. Thomas fans here? Raindrops. Yeah, I think that was number two. Very good. What I'm thinking of is called Hooked on a Feeling. All right? Let me give you the words. I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. Boy, you just don't realize what you do to me. Your lips are sweet as candy. The taste is on my mind. You just keep, you just keep my thirst for another cup of wine. When you, when you hold me in your arms so tight, you let me know everything's all right. I'm hooked on a feeling. I'm high. John's praying in the back right now that I don't attempt to sing this at all. I'm hooked on a feeling. I'm high on believing that you're in love with me. Do you remember the first time that you were hooked on the feeling of love? I mean, go back. Some of you got to go way back. I can go back. I can remember. It was back in the sixth grade at Alamanda Elementary School in North Palm Beach. Mr. Sorensen was my teacher. We had like a, a joint class for fifth and sixth graders. And I remember standing in the back of the class, back in the cubby holes, with Derek Saunders. Derek Saunders was my best friend, and he was going steady, so I needed to go steady. And so we were looking over the class, in the back of the class, trying to pick out which girl I was going to ask to go steady with, so I'd be going steady like Derek was going steady. And I remember looking over the class, and there was this pretty, beautiful blonde girl by the name of Robin Huckabee, and she was beautiful, and my heart still goes pitter-patter. Hopefully, she's not here this morning. This would be embarrassing, um, and so, you know, there was one problem. I was a big sixth grader, and guess what? She was a, a punky fifth grader, and it's going to kind of be embarrassing for a big sixth grader, you know, to be going steady with a punky fifth grader, but, you know, I was just kind of hooked on the feeling and said, what the heck, she's pretty enough that I'll overlook her age, and so we went out to recess that day, and I asked her, said, hey, Robin, would you go steady with me, and she said yes, and I gave her my ID bracelet, you know, it was official, and, and uh, we went steady all that year, you know, I mean, I just thought I found the real thing, the true thing, I just thought it was going to last forever, you know, and then she dumped me. About a day before her birthday, I had this big surprise birthday party planned for her. And a day before the birthday, surprise party, she dumped me. Then the eighth grade, I found the real thing. Hormones have kind of kicked in a little bit. Her name was Joanne Evans. Wow. She was sweet. I mean, she was just like that song, man. You know, we don't need to go there. But, I, I mean, she was really, really nice, and we were dating, and I had some tickets. I bought some tickets. We're going to go to the, the Hallow Watkins Junior High School Dance, you know. And uh, she said yes, and a couple days before we're getting ready to go, her parents changed their mind. I guess they got word of my reputation or something. I don't know. 
but whatever, Joanne said she couldn't go. And I said, well, Joanne, what do you want me to do? And she said, well, just go to the dance anyways. I'm cool with that, and that's fine. And I said, okay. And so I went to the dance, and I had a blast. And, and you know, I was very careful. I just kind of danced with every girl there, about a dozen or so, and didn't, you know, focus on one girl, you know. And, and matter of fact, my kids don't believe this, but actually, this honestly and truthfully happened. I won a dance contest that night. And I want a record called Yummy, 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 I Got Love in My Tummy, and I Feel Like Loving You. And, um, and I remember they called me up, I got this record, and the word of the dance and what happened to me dancing with all these girls got back to Joanne Evans. And she was upset. She was so angry. She took my, my, you know, my new signet ring I got for Christmas. It was silver. I love that ring. Black emerald. It had my initial on it, R. And I gave that to her because we were going steady. You know, we stepped up from ID bracelets now to a ring. And, and we, were, we were going steady, and she was so mad. She took my ring, and she threw it in the pond in that, inside the Palm Beach Mall that used to be there, the fountain there. She threw my ring in the fountain, you know. So that relationship ended as well. And I learned right there one of the great lessons of life, that what a woman says and what a woman means can be two different things. She said, go, right? She said, go, but she meant no. Um, and I have learned. How many of you men have learned that? What a woman says and what she actually means can be two different things. All right, you better learn that one. The sooner the better. Well, ninth grade, I finally really got hooked on the feeling of love again, man. I'm telling you, this was it. I met this beautiful brunette from Monroe, Michigan. Her name was Janet Cooley. And I was on the varsity basketball in the ninth grade, and she was an eighth grader, and she was the uh, JV captain of the girls' cheerleading squad. And, and every day, you know, we have games. The JV would play first, and during, during halftime, we'd sneak out, and we'd go, and we would kiss, you know, to kind of get me warmed up for my varsity basketball game, <laughs> kind of my, my ritual. You know, we'd go out there and kiss, you know, at the, at the, good, the good old TKA, and, um, and then she'd go in there and cheer, and I'd go warm up. We'd play our basketball game. And, uh, boy, I thought, man, I was hooked on this feeling. She was the one. She's got these big, beautiful brown eyes. I mean, I was just in love. And then she dumped me as well. And then I convinced her a couple years later to marry me. And we've been married now for third, almost this coming uh, June 30th. We'll be married for 35 years. And, yeah, you know, it's a long time. And she truly is the love of my life. And, um... But if I told you I've been hooked on the feeling of passionate lovemaking for 35 years, I'd be lying to you, okay? Uh, there are some days where I think, I don't want to live with her another day. And there are many days when she thinks, I don't want to spend another day with him. And my feelings for Jan and her feelings for me over the last 40 years, they have come and gone. But we're still married because we still very much love each other. We love each other. Now, how would you describe your love for your Valentine? What are some words you would use? What are some positive words you would use to describe your love? Now, guys, I'm trying to give you a chance here to score some points. All right? What are some words you'd use? Lust? Oh, blessed. Okay. All right. Woo! I was getting, it's getting hot in here. Just go ahead and say it like it is. Who was that? Was that you, Josh? Okay. All right. Blessed. That's a great one. Somebody else. Unconditional. Fun. Pardon me? 
Imaginary? Okay. I, I think that's our students up there. We're going to get to that. It's what you call lust, but let's go on. Okay. What other words? Pardon me? Demented? Okay. All right, how about adults? Those that are married. Faithful, true. Come on, spit them out. Pure, honest. Now, what are some of the other words you might use to describe your relationship that maybe you wouldn't want to share in public or maybe the relationship next to you because you'd never use these words for your relationship? What are some of the other words? Maybe like flat, tolerable, boring, <laughs> boring, tolerable, frustrated, annoying. <laughs> I don't know if this is healthy or not. Maybe some of you just need to go ahead and get it out. Pardon me? Mundane, kind of lost its fizz, it's flat. Jealous. You know a word I often hear that I really think describes a lot of relationships today? It's the word angry. Angry. They got a very angry relationship. What are some other words? How about concerned? That's what I find often a lot of couples, they don't want to say it, but if they said it, that described the relationship, they would say they're, you know, they're kind of concerned or maybe discouraged or maybe stuck. Or fed up. The truth is, if our love for our spouse is not growing, it is dying. A passive love is a dying love. Can you say that with me? A passive love is a dying love. So be careful. Be careful. Passivity is very dangerous. If you're not deliberately working towards happily ever after, you will naturally drift to unhappily ever after. You will drift apart. And for most of us, marriage starts out as this great idea, you know, and we're all excited about it, and then it turns into this great ordeal, and now you're looking for a great new deal, right? You know, and, and I don't like to be a bearer of bad news, but the truth is the divorce rate has increased substantially since 2009. Matter of fact, there are more divorces than marriages these days. And in the United States... Four out of ten highest community divorce rates are in Florida. So I'm sorry to tell you bad news. You're living in a bad state if you want to have a good marriage. Four out of ten are in Florida. About 57% of all marriages end in divorce in Palm Beach County. And let me just say that wherever you are this morning, if you're married, if you're divorced, if you're married and divorced and married and divorced again, if you're in a living relationship, I want to let you know we're glad you're here and we want to help you. We want to help you develop a love that will last a lifetime. We want to help you to build a relationship that, that truly honors God, that honors God and goes the distance. So let's talk about how to get there. Let's, let's talk this morning about love and let's begin by talking about what love is not. Love is not this blind fate. Kind of, many of us kind of grew up, and maybe you grew up kind of watching Disneyland, you know, on TV on Sunday nights, you know, and you kind of get this idea with a lot of the books and stories you read that, you know, that somehow, somewhere, there's this perfect prince for you. There's this perfect princess for you that's been made in heaven, and somehow blind fate is just going to bring you together. 
and then you're going to fall hopelessly in love, and you're going to live happily, say it with me, ever after. Not really. Only in Hollywood, only in fairy tales does that actually happen. And where does this blind faith theology lead us? I hear it all the time as a pastor. The wife, the man, they come to me and they say, you know, I must have married the wrong person. You know, I thought he was the one. I thought she was the one. And sometimes we as as Christians and as Christ followers, we kind of spiritualize it. We say things like this. I should have waited for God's best. You know, apparently this wasn't God's best because it's not working out. So, you know, I, I should have waited for God's best. Love is not some type of mystical blind fate with all the stars lining up. I, I, don't, I don't believe that there's just a special princess or, 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 or prince out there for you. That's this blind fate theology. Love is not blind fate. Love is not an uncontrollable feeling. Man, I like B.J. Thomas's songs. I love singing the song. I have fun with the song. You know, but I'm afraid there's a lot of songs out there, a lot of songs today that falsely teach that love is like some uncontrollable disease or something. I mean, you just like get it, you know. It's like, it's like you get the flu or something or the measles or the mumps, you know. It, it just, just happens to you. You have no choice, you know. You just kind of fall hopelessly in love. And if it's, quote, true love, well, then it will last forever. And if it doesn't last forever, it's not your fault, you know. You fell hopelessly in love with the wrong person, right? I mean, if it's true love, it lasts. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to say that emotional love or romantic love is a bad thing. It's usually those strong romantic feelings that kind of motivate us to walk down the aisle, to commit our lives to somebody, to light the candle, to kiss the bride, and to say those words, I do, right? Well-known psychiatrist and author Dr. Scott Peck uh, wrote the book, uh, Road Less Travel, phenomenal author. Uh, he's, he's deceased now. He said this, falling in love is the trick that our genes pull on our otherwise perceptive minds to hoodwink us or trap us into marriage. <laughs> in other words, romantic love can kind of render us insane enough to get married. Now, some of you are nodding your heads. That's not a good sign, you know. And, and, and that's true, and that's part of love, that's part of young love. I mean, there's this passion and this desire, and you, you know, you just got to have it. Now you got it, you don't know what to do with it, you know, and, and that's just love. But what I want you to hear today, I'm not trying to downplay that or say that's bad or wrong. What I'm trying to say is there is a love out there that's so much more than that. There's a love out there that's so much deeper than that. And if you truly want to live happily ever after, if you truly want to to go the distance, you need to find that love and you need to begin to live by that love. Now in the Greek culture, they use like four different Greek words to describe uh, our English word for love. The word eros and phileia and uh, uh, storge and agape. And eros means erotic love. It's the desire to possess someone for your own pleasure for your own desires. It's kind of like it's really all about you and what you want. That's eros love, erotic love. And then philia is a friendship love, like the city of Philadelphia means like brotherly love. It's kind of like the love of, of close friends, and, and many of us know that and experience philia love. And then storge, usually storge love is the Greek word they use often referring to people who are connected by blood or by birth, and it's like you, have, you share something in common. So eros, philia, and storge. And all three of these loves are more uh, 
self-centered. They're more self-fulfilling and self-focused. And therein lies their weakness to living happily ever after. You see, most of our marriages fail because our love is shallow. Our love is self-centered. It's all about me and my wants and my needs and my desires. And if my needs and my wants and my desires aren't being met, well, what do we do? We change lovers. But the love we need to build a strong, prevailing relationship is agape love, God's love. And agape love is the way that God loves you. It's the way that God loves me. In the Greek culture, it's the highest form of love. As a matter of fact, this word agape really didn't come in existence until the birth of Jesus Christ. And it began to be used to describe the love of God, the love of Christ, and the love that we need to have in our marriage and in our relationships. Agape love. And Paul describes this love for us beautifully in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'd like for us to stand and let's read responsively 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and I'll begin reading with verse 1, and if you will read the uh, red uh, words when we come to it, all right, let's read it together. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned... But have not love, I gain nothing. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love bears all things, believes all things, hope all things, and endure all things. Hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You may be seated. Now from this passage, I'd like for us to notice three things about love. First one is this, love's a verb. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. This is from the New Living Translation, and, and help me out as I read this. If I could speak in any language, that's the Greek word there for for tongue, tongues of men or tongues of angels, if I could speak in any language in heaven or in earth, but didn't what? Love others. I would only be making meaningless noise like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I knew all the mysteries of the future and everything about everything, but didn't others, what good would it be? If I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to mountains and make it move without... I would be of no good to anybody. If I gave everything I have to the poor and, every, and, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would be of no value whatsoever. Paul is telling us, you know, there's a lot of great things that we can do in life. We could speak in any language. We could speak prophetically about the future. We could speak with all faith to make mountains move. We could even die a martyr's death. But if we do any of these things without love, it's of no value. You see, love 
is something you do. Love is a verb. It's active. It's not just some passive feeling. It's so much more than that. You see, your marriage or your relationship left to itself, it will drift apart. You have to work at love. It is a verb and not a noun. You have to do love to feel love. Can you say that with me? You have to do love to feel love. Let's say it again. You have to do love to feel love. See, when you stop making the effort to love, you stop feeling love. You know, before you were a married man, you were working so hard at love. You were calling. You were talking. You were thinking of each other. You were spending so much time together. Love was a verb. You were doing it. And because you were doing it, man, you were feeling it. And now time has come and responsibilities have come, and you ain't doing it no more. And you ain't feeling it either. you got to do love in order to feel love. And when the feelings go, it's not the time to get another lover. The time is to start doing love again. Because feelings follow actions faster than, you know, than actions follow feelings. I don't know how it went, but that was wrong. But basically, it's this. You have to do love to what? Feel love. All right, love is a verb. And love is also a choice. Look at verses 4 through 6. Love is a choice that you make every day. Paul says, love is patient and love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love doesn't demand its own way. Love is not irritable, impatient, and it keeps no records when it's been wronged. It's never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Now, Paul lists here the virtues of love. These are the things that you and I need to choose to do if we want to experience God's agape love in our life and in our relationships. See, love is patient. You choose to be patient. You know, that's a choice you make. You can be more patient if you will choose to do it. It's amazing how people control their anger. You know, they're all upset and angry and someone calls them on the phone. Hello? You can do what you want to do. I am so convinced of that. You just want to deceive yourself, you know, and try to excuse your behavior by saying, no, no, you can be more patient if you want to be patient. You've got to choose to be patient. You can choose to be kind. You can choose not to be rude. You choose not to be so demanding. You choose, it says here, to forgive. You choose to forget their offense and not hold it over them. You're not keeping score. You don't make them pay for what they've done. That's, that's love. Love forgets the offense. You can choose to be selfless instead of selfish. Love is a choice you make whether you feel like it or not. Even when your spouse doesn't live up to your expectations or your wants or your needs, you choose to love and respect them. That's agape love, and that's a hard love, but that's a good love. And like anything in life, when it's hard, the payoffs, the blessings are good, but you've got to push through. You've got to choose to love and respect each other. You see, the essence of agape love, this, this Greek word, it's a love of choice. If you study the word, it's all about choice. And they use it to describe God's love because God chose to love us. 
I know this might burst some of your bubble, but God doesn't love you because you're cool. God doesn't love you because you've worked real hard and you deserve his love. No. God loves you because he has chosen within himself to love you. It's his choice and his will. And he loves you so much that he gave because God's love, agape love, is a giving love. What did he give? He gave what? He gave his son. He gave his very own son, Jesus Christ. He loved us so much that he gave his own son. And his own son paid the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his life. Now, did Jesus want to die? I don't think so. Jesus prayed in Matthew 24, Father, take this cup from me, you know. I don't want to die. I don't really want to bear the sins of the world. But if it be your will, I'll do it. And because of Jesus' love for the Father, and because of Jesus' love for us, he chose, agape, he chose to lay down his life and to die for us. Agape love. Love is choosing. Love is choosing to meet the needs of your spouse even when they don't meet yours. I'd encourage you to write that down somewhere on your notes because that's what this whole series is about for the next two weeks. Love is choosing to meet the needs of your spouse even when they don't meet your needs. And I'm telling you, that concept of love, you don't find it in modern day psychology and teaching. It's all about me and my needs and my wants. And and if he doesn't put up, you know, I'm out of here, you know. Love is choosing to meet the needs of your spouse even when they don't meet yours. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 5. He says, love is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Can we say that together? Love is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, love is a verb and love is a choice. Love is submitting to each other out of respect and honor for Christ. And then love is commitment. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter seven, verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 7. Help me out here. Love what? Never. Wow. Love never. What does Paul say about this agape love? Love never gives up. Never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. There are three things that will endure, faith, hope, and love, And the greatest of these is love. And as I said earlier, you know, by our culture's definition of love, Jan and I, we've fallen in and out of love too many times to count. I mean, the feelings of love are not always there. But as an act of our will and commitment, I choose to love her and she chooses to love me. And we seek to meet each other's needs. As an act of my will, I am unconditionally committed to her. Even though our feelings changes, even though our interests change, we are still unconditionally committed to each other. Because love is commitment. That's what love is. That's what God's kind of love is. It's commitment. And God was committed to you. He paid the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his son, and Jesus was committed to you. He paid the ultimate sacrifice. He gave up his life. And love is commitment. It's submitting to one another out of reverence and respect for Christ. And I have to admit, you know, when the romance is gone, it's certainly easier to bail out than to work through it. It's certainly easier to bail out 
than to dig down deep inside and talk your way and work your way through it. And it's certainly easier for you to bail out than to work through it. But deep down inside of you, there is something tugging at you, something telling you to stay at it, to pay the price, to put some romance and love and joy and fun back into your marriage. And I want to tell you this morning, listen to that voice. That voice very well could be the voice of God calling you to a higher form of love, to God's form of love. God calling you to a love that never quits, to a love that never gives up, to a love that's steadfast and faithful and determined and chooses to unconditionally meet their spouse's needs even when their spouse doesn't meet their needs. That's God's kind of love. And that's the love that we need to have if we ultimately want to live happily ever after. And if we truly want to go the distance, we need to love the way God loves us. Can we pray? Can we all bow our heads right now and and can I ask you to ask God right now just to kind of fill your heart with His love? A love of choice. A love of commitment. Can we pray right now? Can you pray just quietly to yourself and say, God, help me to love the way you do with agape love. God, I can't love like that. I need your help. Fill me with your love. And can you join me? Can you pray this right now? Can you say, God, I choose to meet my spouse's needs even when they don't meet mine. That's a higher love. I I pray you can get there if you're not there. And it's going to start with you praying and desiring that. And that's that's what God wants for us. Can Can you pray that? God, help me. To meet my spouse's needs even when they don't meet mine. God, help me to do love. God, help me to do love even when I don't feel it. God, help me to choose love. Help me to submit to the needs of my spouse out of reverence for Christ. The essence of God is love. And some of you, for the first time in your life, you need to invite God's love into your life. You need to invite Christ into your heart. You need to put your faith and trust in Him. And right now, maybe you need to pray and say, God, I acknowledge to you that I can be selfish. That I can be self-centered and sinful. And I invite Jesus Christ to come into my life right now and to save me from my sins so I can love others the way they need to be loved. Jesus Christ, come into my life. Save me. Change me. Fill me up with your agape, selfless love. And can I ask each of you to do this with our heads bowed? Can you make a commitment right now to be here for the next two weeks? 
We're going to be looking next week at the greatest need men have in relationship, and it's not what you think. I'm telling you right now, it's not what you think. It's not what you're going to expect. And we look at the greatest need women have in relationships. And can you just, I'm, I'm just so convinced that these next two weeks could be so instrumental in helping you in your relationships with your spouse, with the opposite sex, wherever you are. And so I, I ask you this morning, right now, before God, to make a commitment. Say, God, I'm going to do my best to prioritize and to be here for the next two weeks. God, we thank you that you are a relational God and you want to teach us how to love so that we can live happily ever after with your love in our hearts. God, help us to do love. Help us to make the hard choices. God, help us to make a commitment to be here the next two weeks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.